The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a The Athletic subscriber for a limited time, you will receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Nader Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. What's up, Jay? One week closer to actual football. Actual football practice, I should say. Talk about practice. I actually, I have a, I have the, Homage sells that, the, the talking about practice t-shirt. I do try to wear it to training camp once every year, just for the sake of the real, I mean, it's just kind of obvious. Like talking about practice, I, I do like to wear that. I, I maybe, I, maybe the first day of practice. Normally, I save it for the end, but I feel like since we haven't seen each other in like nine months, maybe we need to like arrive with a little more oomph this year. Maybe that'll be that'll be next week. Next week on the podcast, we'll be talking about an actual practice that we went and watched from a platform in a corner, potentially behind the bushes. <laughs> but we'll have watched some form of practice. Hopefully. Hopefully. If we think. Uh, that is going on right now. Right now, uh, for those that are wondering, Bengals are walking through slash strength and conditioning slash hitting the weights slash Zoom meeting still. That's this week. Uh, as they'll actually put on the shells and kind of – Pull off like a couple a couple days of what would amount to like OTA at the end of this week, uh, and then August seventeenth next Monday, the first of they'll get pretty close to using all fourteen of the fully padded practices will happen uh, down on the fields adjacent Paul Brown Stadium plus a couple of scrimmages I think at least one probably two that are going to be inside of PBS. Um, so uh, a lot that we'll be getting to you then. It still kind of feels, still has that pre-camp feel, doesn't it? Yeah, it does because we we haven't been able to see any. They're doing things, but we we haven't been able to witness any of it. So it just, I don't know. It just feels well, like it hasn't really started. Well, that's not totally true, is it, Jay? <laughs> Hashtag fill the bridge. You did. I did. You went. I went last Wednesday. It was a beautiful day. It was a great day to be outside, and I walked around for downtown for a little bit, and then I I watched the uh, the walkthrough just to kind of get a gauge of what was going on to 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 see how they were doing things. I didn't I didn't tweet any photos. I didn't even tweet that I was there. I uh, didn't tweet any news off it. There was no news off of it. But it just I just felt like I I needed to go down and see. And even though it was a seventy minute round trip drive, I felt like it was worth it. I mean, you know, guys walking through, wind sprinting. I'm sure it was every, but you know what? It was footballs being thrown. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I love it. I love that fill the bridge season that you, you, you jumped on board. You're right though. It is just about trying to get a feel and get your bearings on what exactly is going on down there, and not feeling like you're totally in the dark uh, when you're trying to 
paint pictures of what exactly is happening there over the next couple of weeks. We don't need to be down there every day. No. Uh, but it is good to get a feel for it. I did take um, my binoculars, which was very advantageous because they were on the farthest field away from where I was standing. So I really did uh, need – it was hard to tell which quarterback was which at times. Um, so I, I, I was able to to pick out numbers. And at least – was, it was twice – that people walked by, saw me with my binoculars watching practice, and asked if I worked for the Patriots. <laughs> I mean, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that would, uh, no matter what team in America, that would be the first reaction from any of you walking by you. Uh, we got, a, obviously, some stuff we want to get to today. Um, as far as news goes, looks like the Bengals are pretty close. Nothing official yet, but... Um, I mean, this was laid out for us. They keep they kept one less than their number because they have to do that if they want to bring somebody in and be able to even to bring them in and then to sign them. Uh, Mike Daniels uh, is in physicaling, and I think the idea is, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and venture to guess, but if you're listening to this right now, they may have already announced the signing, uh, that we'll see Mike Daniels in the mix. Uh, three technique, Green Bay, Detroit, uh, very successful getting up there in age 31 now. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, the potential of that, and get into some position group stuff. Um, we're going to kind of do our ranking of the position groups 1 to 10, and that's going to play into an interesting piece that Jay and the AFC North Roundtable crew have thrown together, their mega mix of ranking the position groups across the AFC North. And it has brought up a couple of very interesting things. That will make Bengals fans sad. But some might make you happy, but mostly sad. <laughs> Probably mostly sad. We'll get sad. into that. Mostly sad. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a Joe Mixon update uh, and reference something that about 14 people tweeted at me when it went down uh, at the end of last week. So look out for that. Uh, Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator, spoke to us on Friday. Uh, I asked him a bunch of questions about running back rotation stuff. Fantasy alert, fantasy alert, fantasy alert. Uh, and utilizing Joe Mixon. So I'm going to bring you some of that as well. Um, we're talking a little bit about the fans stuff. Will fans be allowed in the stadium? I wrote a little bit about that, as did C. Trent Rosecrans, about the Reds situation as they have put together proposals that have been uh, okayed by the city and by the county and are awaiting um, hearing back from the state on whether that will happen or not. Um, so we've got some more information on that. A run passer boot about the defensive line and whatever else happens. So that's where we're at. Jay, how you feeling? Ready? I am ready. Had a weekend right. off. I'm rested. Yeah. Ready to ready rejuvenated. Ready to get back to it. I feel like your weekends off though don't always rejuvenate you. I feel like sometimes they if they're like my weekends off, they often beat me down and then I need a couple more days. It, 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 that's exactly what happened, but I had all day Sunday to <laughs> to recover, so I'm I'm good. I would like to say something I know from before we recorded. You know what helps nurse a Jay Morrison hangover? People will be stunned to hear this. <laughs> Truly stunned. Arby's, baby. Naps and Arby's. I mean, that's really, that's life right there. That's life in Hamilton, Ohio for Jay. Naps and Arby's. It did the trick. I spent most of uh, most of yesterday not nursing a hangover. I didn't drink a lot, but I, I it, they were long days, long nights. Uh, it was, it was, uh, about a 40 minute drive there. So it was 80, mi- 80 minute round trip. And uh, yeah, I was at my age, just even casual weekends like that take a lot out of you. So woke up about noon, felt a little hungry, went and got some Arby's, ate that, went back down for a nap at two, 
right when the Reds were starting. I figured, ah, I'll wake up and hear the end of the game. Nope, slept right <laughs> through the entire game. Got up a little bit closer to six. Wow, what a day. Yeah, it was a great day. If you've got a question for Jay that you want to ask him this week, uh, just send that to to Jay on Twitter with hashtag Naps and Arby's. <laughs> that's, what I want. that's what I want. I want that anytime anybody sends you a question. That's what I want, Naps and Arby's. Uh, all right, let's, let's start with this. Um, and this is going to get us into the Mike Daniels conversation. Um, we have not t- talked through this. We were saving the good stuff for the pod. L- let's rank the Bengals position groups from strongest to weakest. Um, and it's going to get us into a number of different discussions here. And so I, I, I have, I have mine. Um, and I'm curious to see how close we come to matching up. Um, so let's see. I'll start with my top, my number one. I'll do one, two, three, and we'll see where you what you have. Number one, safety. Number two, receiver. Number three, running back. Do you have the same top three? Yeah, I actually i put i put these guys all these position groups in in three tiers, and uh, i those those three were in my top tier, and I, I've got a slight flip. I've got receiver one, safety two, and running back three. What what puts receiver over safety for you? Uh, just the the amount of of quality there. Yeah, you need more receivers than you do safeties. But um, AJ Green, uh, there's a obviously a question there whether he's going to return to his form. But working under or to you know his top form, working under that assumption that he is going to be the AJ Green that we've seen um, at least recently in his career when healthy. Um, you add him to T. Higgins. Tyler Boyd has been terrific since after his rookie year. Uh, the the promise that T. Higgins has combined with there's still I feel some untapped potential with John Ross. Um, it just feels like that that group probably has uh, more of a chance to to be the best group on the team than safety. I when we when we did the AFC North rankings, I was. I was very close to ranking the Bengals the number one safety group in the league, and I, I ended up going with Pittsburgh. I just feel like you could put anybody next to Minka Fitzpatrick, and that's deserving of the number one spot. But they've got a great group at safety. I just felt wide receiver was was a little bit ahead of where that safety group is. Um, Brandon Wilson as the fourth one in that group, really it kind of falls off after the top three, whereas – at wide receiver, it feels like it's more of just a kind of a gradual decline. I mean, Alex Erickson's been a really solid guy, and he may not, he may not even make this roster. Yeah. You may have sold me. I, I sort of – the one thing that I, I probably should have factored in more is you know, Sean, Jesse Bates' tackling was an issue last year. He didn't do have to do a ton of it, but, I mean, it was not great. Sean Williams was a liability tackling a lot of times last year. Von Bell looks like he's going to be very good. Um, and the comp, the depth you get of that, and je- you know the high end potential of Bell and Bates is a really nice combo. And Williams is more than a more than a serviceable fill. And I mean, he's been a starter and a leader on this team um, for a while. You you so you lo- you like what you have with that. And it's, some of the unknowns in the receiver position are tough for me to I, I you know 
I still don't know about John Ross. I, I mean, how many times were we going to have this conversation before a season? You know, I mean, and you can sh- maybe you'll get a few good games or, or opening stretch like you had last season, but, you know, it's just hard to count on it. Hard to for sure count on AJ. Um, I think you can, but it's hard to for sure do that. T-, T. Higgins is still rookie. There's still a lot of questions there. So as far as proven, I mean, I think Bates and Bell as a starting duo is as proven as they have at a position group on this roster, and that was kind of where – um, you know, I I based it off of um, running back three. You know, Mixon. I mean, you know, that's that's what he is. I think it gets interesting. So is that that's your top tier? So you have another group group tiered together. What is your next group tiered? Okay, my next group tiered. Uh, it well, I'll give them in order. I had D line at four. I did special teams at five, cornerback at six, and quarterback at seven. And it seems kind of low with, with all the hope and promise of Joe Burrow, but until he does anything, it's really hard to to, to put that him up higher. Um, the they, the D line, like I, that is a solid group. And when we did the AFC North rankings, this it was we had to go back and forth. It's like how do you how do you separate these position groups? Because you know T.J. Watt, he's a defensive end, he's a linebacker. Um, we just ended up saying all D-line, all linebacker, as opposed to trying to separate inside linebacker, outside linebacker, interior D-line. Um, and as good as the Bengals' defensive line is, I had them fourth in the division when you look at the the other teams and this what, what they have on their lines. But it's still a really good defensive line, especially with the addition of Reader and now it looks like Mike Daniels, um, Carl Lawson in a contract year, Sam Hubbard coming on really going to be a factor. And then the, the old stalwarts and Gino and Carlos, um, that was kind of an easy number four for me. And then special teams and cornerbacks, I kind of I waffled on a little bit, but just the fact that we don't really know what McKenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes are in this, in the Lou Anarumo's scheme and special teams. Like I know everybody hates Randy Bullock, but he, he's been pretty solid. Huber's been solid. And then Brandon Wilson leading the league in kick returns last year. Um, that's why I have him so high at number five. Darius Phillips too, and Darius uh, Phillips, on, yeah, punt has, has been quite dangerous uh, bringing the ball back. I, I'm with you. So the D line thing, and where Daniels comes in, and why you know I move them up because of that move. So Luana Rumo kind of spoke pretty openly about having Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins on a pitch count. Uh, when we talked to him last week, and you wrote about that and, and a lot of the stuff going on, on the defensive side of the ball uh, in the story last week. But, you know, that is necessary. I mean, at this point, you can see the depreciation in Geno Atkins. I don't feel like I need to go down this wormhole again. Like, we've talked about this a lot. The The, the numbers are what they are. He has declined in production each of the last four years. And I think, you know, you look at, Daniels and Reader, he's never had dynamic players around him like he will this year. And I think the idea is, you know, a guy like Daniels, I, I want to just run down some stats for you. So just looking at pass rush productivity amongst interior defenders, pro football focus stat, um, the last four years, um, you will see where you end up with here with bringing Daniels in. So Atkins, last year alone, you had Atkins was 6.3, which was ranked 14th amongst all interior defenders. Uh, Daniels was slightly below him. He ranked 20th. Uh, DJ Reader ranked 22nd. 
in that stat. That's last year. So three of the top 22 interior defenders, and that's Atkins being down. I mean, 2018. Now, and remember, last year, Daniels, injured, did not play a ton. Injuries kind of wiped out his season with the Lions last year. So you almost scrubbed that for him. To go back to 2018, and Grant, we're, we're trying to turn back the clock on guys who are post-30 playing on the interior. Like that's – it's a hard – it's kind of a slippery slope game to play. But let's just go back to 2018. You have Geno Atkins at 7.8, which was fifth amongst all interior defenders, and Daniels at 7.3, which was sixth amongst all interior defenders. If you put together something in the semblance of that from these two, playing off of each other, keeping each other fresh in games, and sometimes probably playing on the field together, where you would maybe line up a Geno, Reader, Daniels interior with in like that Anarumo 3-4 base that we've seen, whether you'd have you know a Lawson and Dunlap or Lawson and Hubbard on the edges of that, there's a lot of damage you feel like you can get done if that's what you're getting. And I think the hope is that with the two of them playing together, you can get a year of those 2018 numbers out of them and a little less of where they depreciated towards last year. And then Reader, a guy on the on the come, which you know what you know why they bought in on him in the first place, because they see him as both a run stopper and the ability to also get some wiggle like he did last year when he was in the top 25 amongst all interior defenders and pass rush productivity. That's a good combo, and that's what they needed. They, they were really missing that, man, because we didn't know Glasgow was going to be able to do that. We didn't know what his situation was, and obviously it was a way worse injury than we even knew, and he's gone. Um, they really needed a good player to come in and spell Atkins to get the most out of a lot of different positions. I think that's that Daniels really makes a lot of sense for me in that respect if he can stay healthy and be some semblance of the guy he was before. Yeah, and another thing that's kind of overrated in that is um, you, Sam Hubbard, you don't need to put him on a pitch count per se just because of he's so young and so dynamic, but but that will help as well because a lot of times last year when Carl Lawson would come in on third down and be that edge guy and, and Sam would kick inside, and we saw Sam play inside almost exclusively as a rookie. That might have been one of the best pairings that Geno had as a, another pass rusher inside having Hubbard next to him. Um, I, I think that's just going to help. It'll help the overall rotation and, and keeping all those guys uh, a little fresher. And, and ideally, if the season goes the way the Bengals hope it does, where the, the the opponent isn't just running the ball throughout the fourth quarter, you know, after building a, a decent lead, you're going to need these guys to play more snaps than they, they they did last year. Even though they had all those close games, there were games that were out of hand, and it was just you that you it was just the run defense that was in there late in games. So yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know if Geno's going to totally reverse that that downward slide. That's that's almost impossible to do. But this the, both of these additions with Daniels and Reader are going to I think we're going to see him see him have be more productive than he was last year. Um, and, and even last year, you said what? What did he rank? Fourteenth. Fourteenth last year. Which, yeah. yeah, I could see him getting back in that top ten range. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the idea. I mean, that's that's the idea. Is you have three guys that are that are all pretty pretty legit, and you can really have a force in there and rotation. You know, and that's that's really going to be a big part. The, you know, the Carlos Dunlap pitch count. 
Um, we've seen this over the years. I mean, they have. I mean, Mike Zimmer was big on that. I mean, he was big on waves and, and all that stuff. And uh, I think we'll see that probably come as well um, with this group. When you had, you want to get more of Lawson, you're going to want to probably get Kareem involved. You're going to want to get some of these guys out there in some spots. So um, that I buy. And, and honestly, Carlos Dunlap finished the season really well last year, but you know you just want to see more consistency and not so much of the on and off and feel like you're just always getting the most uh, out of him. So we'll, we'll And we'll see if they even may add to that position. So that, that could push defensive line up into that top tier if you see another reputable name show up and end up in the back end of that room. Uh, so I'm with you. D-line at four. Um, you know what? Let's play run, pass, or boot right now. Let's let's do it because we have a defensive line. Run, pass, or boot. Play along at home if you'd like. Uh, most pressures. So the PFF pressure stat. Most pressures among this group uh, this year. Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, or either Sam Hubbard or Carl Lawson. To one of the two. Now I'll go ahead and give you last year's total pressures. Remember Lawson in a basically a half a season. Everybody else played the vast majority. Uh, Atkins had 53. Carlos had 51. Hubbard had 49. Lawson had 35 pressures last year. Now you're obviously going to throw in rotations and pitch counts. Uh, run pass or boot, Jay. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to play the odds, and I'm going to go with the the Hubbard or Lawson option there as the number one, um, just because they're they are young guys getting more experienced in the league, whereas Gino and Carlos are going the opposite way. Um, Lawson, it's always a it, it's a dicey proposition if he can stay healthy, but but he ex, I mean he excels at pressures. He gets he gets back now. He doesn't always convert them the way that you would like, but man, the way he flies off the edge, just look at that. I mean, 35 and basically half a season. Um, and I really think Hubbard's on the come. I think he's going to have a great year. So um, I'll run with them. Um, I'll pass on Carlos. Uh, he he still was he still was really effective in the second half of the year, like you mentioned. Seven of his nine sacks came in the final eight games. Um, and then just Gino, just the position that he's in, the the fact that he's probably going to be on more of a pitch count uh, than Carlos will. Um, I'll I'll boot Gino, even though. He's the guy that had more than anybody last year. Yeah, it's kind of hard that way. I, I I have the exact same. and I almost feel like putting Lawson and Geno together might have been better because then you get a little bit of upside on, on maybe a full season of Carl Lawson or, you, you know, because I think Hubbard will be the guy. I, I, I do. I think he will. He he is the guy who can put out there every snap. He's he's getting better every year. He's got the he's just a relentless player. You know, every single – I remember writing about that last year. I mean, people just kept talking about how there's just nobody who plays harder than Sam Hubbard. Like, his, he just is going every single play. And there were a lot of people commenting on that. Um, and it's obvious. So, I I will go with Hubbard, and I'm with you. I'll, I'll pass on Carlos, and I, I will I'll, – I'll boot Geno Atkins, which is, which is hard to do. But, you know, I just – with the – if you end up with Daniels in the mix and the pitch count and what we've seen, uh, I, I'm with you. I think I think he ends up being a little bit lower. Um, 
All right, so we got that in. Uh, I have so D line. I have QB five. It's it's so hard to gauge. Like I, you know, we we talk endlessly about Joe Burrow and expectations of what it's going to look like. It's hard to do anything but just just shove it in the middle. <laughs> like just I don't know. It's in the middle. It should be pretty good. You think there's a lot of options there, but you know who really knows for sure. Um, and then I will. I have. Uh, let's see. I have corner in there at six and special teams at seven. I I like the corner position. I, I like how much they have to prove. Um, I like the depth. You know, and Arumo last week mentioned guys that we don't talk a whole lot about, and we have a little bit here. LaShawn Sims, um, Winston Rose, uh, guys with a lot of upside. Winston Rose had all interceptions in the CFL. He was a maniac up there. Sims has played a lot of meaningful football. They like they like him as a piece. And Darius Phillips. I still feel like enough people talk about Darius Phillips. He's super intriguing. I mean, four picks and 108 snaps last year. It's not a fluke. It wasn't a fluke. And, um, I, you know, he that's behind the starters. So I just, I really like the depth of that position. And I like, and I like William Jackson in a contract year. I think you're going to get the best out of William Jackson this year. I really, I, you know, I like to think that that can happen. So I like, I like the cornerback room. Um, special teams, obviously. Nice. So that leaves us with the bottom tier, right? Yeah. Uh, I have tight end eight, offensive line nine, and linebacker ten. Yeah, I was the exact same on those as well. I, I really, I kind of waffled on O line and linebacker, but I just feel like at least with the O line, you've got a first round pick in Jonah Williams, whereas linebacker, it's it's just a bunch of uh, potential. Basically, you got Josh Bynes, who's who's experienced in the league, but everything else. Uh, it's there, there's a a lot of hoping and praying going on in that room right now. That's <laughs> a recipe for success, right there. With that's, I, that's what you want. I, I mean, you know, that's it. It's it's the Bengals 2020 season. A lot of hoping and praying going on right there. <laughs> I said in I said in that room. I should say with that room because I don't think the guys in that room actually are hoping and praying. But I think fans are yeah, kind of. Not not totally on board with this being a, a stellar group yet. No, I mean, I I feel like people get enamored with draft picks. People love the idea of these guys coming in. I mean, even would you call Jermaine Pratt a success story last year? Uh, I would. Yes, not a, yeah. not an overwhelming success, but yeah, the way he improved yeah. for sure. And he comes out the end of the season that way. But he was dreadful for a long stretch of time. A liability. And that's what they're going to be doing when they have those other guys out there. Logan Wilson, Kim Davis-Gaither, Marcus Bailey, whoever you're trotting out there, and they're going to be dependent on those guys, are going to be going through the same stuff harder. Because Jermaine Pratt had a full offseason. And they're going to be asking these guys to contribute right away. And... You know, maybe you get something special. I mean, maybe you do. But you're going to roll through some serious growing pains with those guys, even if they're just in and sub package roles. And that's a part of it. And it's like, man, how many years in a row are we going to have linebacker at the bottom of this list and offensive line at the bottom of this list? The I, the hope is by this time next year, there are, those two are like five and six. 
You know, offensive line and linebacker have a lot of young players, a lot of reasons the coaches are selling that you should believe that the future is going in the right direction. Those two better not be in this same spot next year at this time or else things have gone horribly wrong. That's all I'll say about that. It's important. Um, same with quarterback. They be, That better not be in the same. That needs to be a top three next year. Yeah. No, there's yeah, there's no doubt. You you need to be feeling pretty good about that. Quarterback quarterback an important position. Uh <laughs> <laughs> breaking news. Uh all right. Speaking of breaking, let's let's take let's now take a quick second for a word from Indochino. All right, rolling on here on here that podcast ground. I want I want to kind of shift gears uh and talk a little bit about Joe Mixon. Have we done that before? A couple times. It's like this weekend. I have this weekend Burrow always and this weekend Bengals. We need this weekend Mixon on the podcast at this point. It's just like here's the latest that we talk about Joe Mixon for a long extended period of time. But this time, this is this is how far, this is how deep we've gone the wrong direction and having to talk about Joe Mixon all the time. We're going to play my comments from last week's episode about Joe Mixon. So listen to this, and then I will read you the tweet that Joe Mixon sent out a couple days after this rant. You tell me you couldn't see Joe Mixon sitting on a Zoom with us saying, I'm betting on myself. Bet that. No cap. <laughs> right? Like, that's – I can hear it in my ears. I'm betting on myself. No cap. Like, that's – or tweeting that. Sorry to make everybody listen to me yelling from a week ago. But I, I just and this and this honestly is not trying to brag. It's just it's honestly just funny the exact wording of this tweet that Mixon then sent out on August sixth, a couple of days after we recorded. Says from uh Lightning Bolt Primetime exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point lightning bolt. That's Joe Mixon. Uh I'm gonna bet on myself through whatever one hundred no cap. And now everybody assumes that that meant that Joe Mixon's, well, doing exactly what I said, betting on himself. You know that must mean that must mean it's over. That must mean he's 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 playing it out, right, Jay? Or he's here's the thing about this. Uh, I, I did the Q and A on Friday uh, on the site and had about five or six different questions about Mixon's Twitter account and all the things because we have here. Here's let's just go through last week alone. Uh, well, we had we had the thing that was started our discussion last week. Got real life big decisions to make. Head pounding emoji. Uh, cloud thinking cloud. Before I go broke like Jock, which I think had a lot of people trying to Google exactly what that means. Uh, best shape of my life right now. Then came we have an understanding that got people really excited. A lot of retweets on that. Then, if you ain't with me, then you against me. No other way around it. Uh-oh, they're against him? No. And then, bet on myself through whatever. Now people are freaking out. But then right after that, Jay, life is good. All caps. I mean, here's what I love. I'm pretty sure that this is just like, it's just Joe tweeting about like an epic Madden 21 simulation season. Like that's this, he's just been playing Madden and like just tweeting about it, thinking that's everybody. Because Joe mostly tweets about video games. That's a fact. 
So I, I, everybody wants to think every tweet that he's doing has something to do with contract negotiations. Yeah, or he's just on a Call of Duty bender. You know, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> People should probably just stop reading too much into this stuff. Yes, there's a lot of missing context there. I was that—that's exactly the point I was going to make. Because you don't know what he's talking about. You on some of that, yeah, bet on myself. Okay, that one was pretty clear. But some of those other ones, you—you know, somebody he could have seen a tweet instead of replying to the tweet, he put his own tweet out, or somebody might have said something in the next room to him, and he—he he thought it was. It's just—it's—it's it's way too much to to read into to the reason he's not. He's not like a serial tweeter. He 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 is active on Twitter, but he it, it it not overly so. So it's it's just hard to put context into these things. Um, but that's what fans want to do. They want to believe everything is about the contract situation. Everybody wants this to be over with, and um, we even run past or booted it last week. Whether it would be over by this time this week, and here we sit still wondering. Bet on himself, no cap. That's all there's to it. So, I mean, and maybe that maybe that is the one that is we'll we'll see. I mean, maybe that is how it ends up. Either way, you know, I I do think that if you were worried about anything, it was you know maybe Joe would not be be nervous about playing this year. You want some you want somebody showing up. It, contract or no contract, like the endless debate about that is is exhausting. You want somebody that's showing up, betting on themselves, and feeling like every time they touch the ball, their future is in their hands. You know, AJ Green has that feeling right now. Joe Mixon seems to have that feeling right now. If you're going to believe, you know, even if he he's there and he's ready to go, clearly. Also tweeted best shape of my life, so don't forget that. So I mean, he does look he does look like he is. I mean, he's just a he is a freak. Like those photos, are those forearms or calves? <laughs> Like what? <laughs> I mean the the dude is the dude is no doubt is no doubt ripped. Um but you want that. Like if you're Joe Burrow, if you're the Bengals, if you're Zach Taylor, if you're Brian Callahan, you love chip on the shoulder AJ Green playing in a contract year. You love Joe Mixon playing feeling like he's playing for his free agency life for you. You love that. You love William Jackson out there, and you hope you're getting that out of him too in the same respect. Marvin used to talk about that all the time. Love, he wanted a team of contract years. Like he just wanted everybody. And he's, you know, and in many ways the NFL is. I mean, everybody's playing for their life out there. Everybody can go. Everybody's contract's gone out. But uh, you know, to me, you love that. That takes us a little bit to what Brian Callahan was talking about. I was sort of asking him about the rotation, and mo- so many times people. Trying to figure out what that's going to look like. Can you involve Joe Mixon more? Should you involve Joe Mixon more? You know, they primarily, we saw so much last year. Mixon first and second down, and then these passing situations are geo downs, right? And you end up, you get these long periods, especially the end of halves, end of games, where Mixon's not even on the field. That feels wrong. He's been effective when he's catching the ball. You just shove him out there and you just pound him into the ground. Um, Travion Williams never even saw a snap last year. Do you try to find ways to get him into a rotation and see what he is? How's all that look? What did they learn from it? I'll just bring you a little bit of here's offensive coordinator Brian Callahan sort of talking about that topic. What did you learn rotationally last year with the running backs? I mean, Mixon and Gio had pretty defined roles. Travion never even got on the field. 
Uh, I mean, did you feel like you learned something with that, that, that maybe you would tweak the way it went going this year? Or did you feel like you liked that was kind of the way that you wanted it to look? Yeah, I mean, without giving too much away. Um, <laughs> I do. There, yeah, there is some there are some things that we, we kind of grew through and learned through. The other thing, we got really fortunate because both our backs were healthy for the whole season. So when you got your two top backs healthy, you know, the, most of the time your third one doesn't play very often uh, at, at this level. And, you know, we got two that we think are really good that play really unique roles for us. Uh, Joe's going to play a lot because Joe's a, Joe's a volume carrier. You know, he, he gets better as he gets more carries. And we found as, as the season went along, we got better at getting him more touches. And so, you know, when he's touching the ball 20 plus times total at the end of a game, his numbers are usually pretty good. Uh, he's been very effective uh, in, in as far as just pure touches go, carries and, and catches. So, you know, it's hard to it's hard to spread the ball around to everybody. You only get about 65 plays in a game. So 70 plays if you're really moving along pretty good. So uh, for Joe and Gio, you know, their, their roles are pretty defined. Gio's a, a dynamic third down back. He's great in protection. He's a great route runner. And he can carry the ball when he needs to. And, and Joe's, you know, uh, exceptional on first and second down. Joe's capable of playing on third down. Um, and, and so there's just the snaps to go around for everybody when you're talking about playing the third back at that point with two healthy backs. Uh, makes it a little bit harder to get him in, but there are some rotational things that that could help us as the season goes along. Would you would you like to involve Joe more in the passing game? I mean, it's kind of the same thing you're saying, where there's only so many to go around. But I mean, when he has had opportunities there, both here and in college, he's he's proven pretty good at that. Yeah, it's a he's he's a he's an all around complete back. He can do just about everything you need him to do, and so uh, finding ways to get him some touches in the pass game uh, are, are some of the things that that we've we've looked at. Uh, and studied in, in ways to do that better than we did last year. Um, so, you know, to say that that's going to how the game's going to work out and we're going to we're going to target them eight times a game or anything like that. I, I can't say that right now because I don't know. Uh, it's kind of a game by game basis as it works as it works every week. But um, yeah, Joe, the, the more Joe touches the ball, the better it is for, for our offense, without a doubt. So all the ways that we can find to get him the ball, uh, the better it's going to be. More, more importantly, I mean, how would you characterize Gio's mustache right now? Ooh. I mean, if there's a guy that could rock a mustache, Gio, Gio's probably the one right now. Uh, I think it looks great. There you go. There's there's Brian Callahan talking about Joe Mixon and about rotations in the running back room. I, you know, people always say, you know, get the ball to Joe more, mix more Mixon, and 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 hey, you want to. Give him the rock a bunch and say, you know, well, maybe we'll let him go after this year anyway. Let's just run him into the ground. Fine. I, I do believe in a little bit of running back by committee to get through a season. Like it's just there's just too much pounding you take. I don't care who you are. You can, you know, Giovanni is a, is a more than solid back. I, you know, you've got you've got to involve those guys more. The one problem I have with it is constantly having Mixon out on third downs. Like, utilize him a little bit more often in the passing game, and I think you can get a little bit more dynamic play there. And maybe mix Giovanni Bernard in in the regular downs too. You know, don't be afraid to mix those across a little more. I think they got too set in that routine of first, second, Mixon out, passing down Bernard. Like, I, I think that needs to be a little bit more varied. I agree. Like the, the biggest surprise with what Mixon's done since he's been here is how good he is in the receiving game. He had a couple one-handed catches last year that were really impressive, and he's you get him in space like that, and he is really dynamic. I was surprised they didn't use him more than they did in the past game, and a lot of that because 
is because what you said, he was off the field on third down. But you put him in there on third and whatever, and and he he catches a screen or he catches a slant of some sort and and gets a first down. Then yeah, then then pull him off and put Geo in there on the on the next first down and, and mix it up. Don't don't be so predictable um, scheme wise, which they were quite a bit last year with 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 not just that that personnel but all everything else being the running more 11 than anybody else in the league i do think that'll be one of the one of the things that we see different this year is is one of the things that zach learned from his rookie year as a play caller is is to mix things up a little more and you know and i think that does involve throwing to the running backs more um, and that could mean more touches for Mixon in that way. Maybe that's where that comes from. You know, important to look back. I mean, you're going to see a lot of using LSU stuff in, in this offense. You just are. You're going to see some of that. And and you look at how Joe Burrow liked to distribute last year. I mean, you can see the clear connections to this roster and to how this offense is supposed to go. Justin Jefferson for LSU last year was the premier slot stud you know, could do everything from in there. They line him up outside too. Same thing that Tyler Boyd can move around, but you know, primarily slot star. Very Tyler Boydy. He led them with 111 receptions for 1,540 yards, 18 touchdowns. I mean, you know, stupid LSU numbers, but you know, still. And then Jamar Chase, the number one guy, your AJ Green, had 84 for 1780. So more yards, more yards per catch, more touchdowns, 20 touchdowns. I mean, your number one guy playing off of that. And third was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who caught 55 balls for 450 yards. I'll, you know, Burrow loved to, to, that, to check it down, throw those swings, get the ball out to the running back if he's not running those two. I mean, you know, the clear connection when you look at that to Boyd Green-Mixon amongst Jefferson Chase-Hilaire I mean, and then you throw in for the next one down, there's two more. There's Thaddeus Moss, who, you know, basically just using the tight end for throwing out checkdowns, so it's safer, conservative stuff, not necessarily a dynamic player. You know, you can see that out of a Uzama, out of a sample there. And then uh, Terrace Marshall Jr. had 46 receptions, 13 touchdowns last year, the third receiver, your Higgins guy, your rotational guys there. You can see that. That personnel exists perfectly on this roster. A one guy, a perfect slot guy, a dynamic running back type, you know, a, a do-it-all kind of tight end guy, a crew of dynamic third receivers. You can see how that ball can be spread around and how Burrow likes to do that. That's great news for Tyler Boyd, and it should be great mixing, great news for people who want to see Joe Mixon involved in the passing game more. And Geo. I mean, Geo can and be Gio. a dynamic weapon. It has been. I, I still think you know Joe's got more upside there as a receiver, just because Geo's getting a little older. But that brings up a question too, with like the, the way they've kept they had Geo in the on the field on third down so much is what do they do in those situations? Do they hold him in to block because he is so good at that at picking up blitzes and or do they send him out on on routes more often? But I would be because you, you, it sounds like you kind of looked at this really closely. Um, how many of those throws to the back were checkdowns, and how many of them were designed screens to the running back at LSU? I mean, they love to just. Uh, the bottom line is they love to run all everybody out in the routes, just five, five protect, you know, and just get everybody out in the route as a way of counteracting, you know, 
the any any blitzes, you know, because you can't be blitzing everybody if there's guys out running free, uh, one on ones in space, and so a lot of the running back just out in routes, you know, it's that's not all screen game and things like that. That's just that that was something Burrow liked to do. I'm really curious. It's going to be one of the most interesting things to see scheme wise this season is how often they do that because. I got the sense in talking to Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan throughout this entire offseason they're not super keen on doing that in the NFL. They don't feel like everybody out in the route and especially leaving this offensive line exposed is something that you can pull off on this level the same way. You need more people in to protect. It's just the nature of these pass rushers and how different the pass rush is at this level. How often will they let it all out? Because that was the biggest difference between Joe Burrow the previous year and Joe Burrow's breakout year was Joe Brady came in as the offensive coordinator and opened it all up, send everybody out, Saints style, and and Burrow it fit him perfectly. How much will they let him do that here? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, because what what everybody talks about Burrow is how how strong his his mind is and how fast he processes things, and that that's that's where that comes into play when you've got everybody going out. But how how quickly can he do that as a rookie in the NFL? Maybe maybe that is more the everybody out option might be more for year two, year three, once they they see how he progresses mentally as a starting quarterback in the NFL as opposed to in college when honestly he was a lot of those passes were on the numbers, on the hands, but they also were with guy with defenders nowhere near his receivers. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. Um so we, you know, that's a little bit more on uh, the running back situation, Mixon, how we anticipate all that playing out. Good to hear from Brian Callahan on the Zoom last week. We'll have a bunch more Zooms this week um, coming up, so you'll hear from a lot more players. Keep that, uh, obviously, keep it up on the site. Um, so make sure you're, sub- if you're a subscriber, thank you. If you're not, uh, we'd love to have you on board. Please come subscribe. We'll have, we'll have reaction to all the guys we're talking to and different things going on this week. Um, before I jump into another story that we've been writing about on the site, I want to talk about this. It's still summer out there. Beaches are open. Lots of people are out swimming. When the sun's shining, the bushes must be tamed. Yep, it's, it's this. Manscaped. Here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped has all kinds of different things that you can buy. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawn Mower 3.0 Waterproof Cordless Body Trimmer. And a ton of other liquid formulations round out your manscaping routine. Be sure to use their Crop Cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good for healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. You can subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer and delivered to your door every three months. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. You can get all that. 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Um, let's move on to a something I wrote about last week and something that Trent has up now on the red side of things, and that is the idea of fans in the stands. Um, 
you know, as we know where this is at right now, baseball doesn't have anybody with fans in the stands. Nobody really has fans in the stands. Um, so the Florence Y'alls, of course, <laughs> very important. Um, you know, NASCAR, you know, a few things are, are, are experimenting with that. But, you know, the NFL very much keeping this open. And in the story I was doing last week and talking with Mark Heron, who's basically director of security, but he's also kind of become the, the a lead in their infectious disease position. Um, and then Jeff Brickner, who's uh, the operations manager, who's been a working point on this as well. They've been having regular calls with the Browns and the Buckeyes, which Buckeyes might be not on that call this week. Uh, but, you know, for a couple of months now about the plot of exactly what it's going to look like. How do we get fans into the stands and what what do they need to do? And um, that's very real. And Trent talking about how the Reds have put forth a plan that's been approved by the city by Hamilton County and is looking to see what the state is going to say I think we're going to hear from Governor DeWine this week talking a little bit more about sports and the future of fans in the stands and when that can happen um I'm very intrigued to see where this lands because the NFL and the places that can handle it I think you know they've they've never really shied away from the fact that they want to see if they can be the first league to really put fans out there in this capacity i'm just curious to see how many fans will want to go and and i i imagine it'll be a, a decent number because there's a decent number of people out there that still thinks this this the whole pandemic is all overblown and nothing to be worried about but honestly if you're talking nfl football you're talking 30 to 50 dollars to park talking 10 to 12 dollars a beer i mean Everything about it is more convenient to stay at home, to follow your bets if you're a gambler, to follow your fantasy teams if you're a fantasy player, which most football fans are. It's just it's way more convenient to stay at home. The reason you go to games is to to be a part of something, that atmosphere, that electricity. Um, I just if 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 they can get to where they're packing stadiums, yeah, fans are gonna you know be fighting over tickets to, to get into that. But if it's 20% capacity, is it really going to, is it really going to stimulate you the way that, that a, a full stadium roaring would? I just, I can see a lot of fans wanting that option to go to the game, but not actually showing up. Now, baseball is a little different. I, I would, I would go to a baseball game if the team was 20 games under 500, just for, you know, to sit in the stands, sit in the sun, have a beer, it's a it's a much more casual paced game. It's it's more about the people you're with as opposed to not much not more, but it, it is about the people you're with and the experiences it is to what's going on on the field. And football's not that way. If um, the the only reason I think a lot of people would go to a football game is is for that excitement of of what's going on in the field and if the team's playing well. It, I just there, there's there's still a lot to be determined, and I just I can't see fans flocking back um even if even if they're going to open it up to to 20 percent capacity or whatever it is capacity of paul run saying is about 65k so i mean you'd probably be somewhere in the ten thousand range um i i just think people want that so bad you know not being able to go as there's just people just want that and here's a I, i talk about what you know write about what you know Here's here's my perfect example. Have you been to a brewery since this has started? No. 
You should. It's impressive. Madtree is is as good at making sure everybody is socially distant, doing things the right way, temperature checks at the door, everybody in masks, lanes are carved out for people to walk through, making sure everybody, you know, until you sit in your table, then you can take your mask off. Everything is super spread apart. I mean, it is down to the very last detail of where you order, how you get your beer, where you bring it back. It, you won't feel safer. It's you know they expand all their outdoors out to the parking lot more. They already have a massive outdoor spot. They've tried. You know, most people are out there. They open all their garage doors to keep the ventilation and the open air. Fifty West. If you've been out there, they have huge. I mean, they have like thirty yards between tables when you go out in the into the all of their um, the sand they have out there for sand volleyball. They've got. I mean, tons of space. It, everything is noted exactly where to go. You you can't. It can't help but feel safe, Every, really utilizing all the outdoor space. And when you're talking about that's where this is safe, the, the outdoors environment, I mean, a, a place like the stadium and all the space they have, if done correctly, treat it, do it like these breweries have done. And again, that's where I've gone, but that, that's utilizing outdoor space, making it obvious where to go. You know, everybody using their seats, sitting. I don't see a reason you can't. And I don't think that we should be a huge reason to be afraid. And I, and I know people would say, are you crazy? Right? They're just trying to keep these guys safe on the field. But when you're talking about totally outdoors, all the way up in the stands, people sitting in stands with masks on, you know, I'm, I'm honestly for it. And I, I feel like they would do it the right way. Do it the brewery way. You know? These places are doing it the right people, and nobody's having, nobody has any problems. People are in the, in places everywhere. Businesses open. They find new ways to thrive, new ways to do things that can serve their customers, and that should be the same for particularly places with open air stadiums. And I I feel that way about the Reds. I feel that way about the Bengals, even more so about the Reds, because there's less of total yelling and screaming and you know the insanity of drunkenness that comes with football. I think when you're at a small capacity like that and you're utilizing the entirety of the stadium, um, I, I think they can pull it off, and I'd be really interested to see what the state says. And now throw this in. Shout out Hamilton County. We're orange. We're orange now. D- downgraded from re- – they're down from level three down to level two. The mask mandate was is working. You know, you're seeing the cases are coming down. Why can't we do it just reward success stories? Be like, look, if you get it down to level one, Reds games, Bengals games, open this. Like, people should have something. People need the cheese. Give people the cheese. That's I think that's a big part of it too. And I, I think pe- I do think people will come out because I think people want it so badly. They miss social events, going to a game, things like that. I, I don't think they'll have a problem selling out all 10,000 um, if that's what it ends up. You know, you mentioned the, the drunken fans, and I, I think that's another big part of this because you you see what, what Governor DeWine did with the bars and, and cutting off alcohol sales at 10 and everybody trying to be funny or just not being smart and saying this is because the virus doesn't come out after, or the, isn't around before 10 and it is after 10. It's just, it's all about when the bars get crowded, when it gets late, when people get drunk, that's when bad decisions are made. And so are you going to have that at a football game? The the, the, the team can to tr- can try to separate. They can the- control that. They can have enough people there to, to, to 
control it. You know what I mean? I really do think, I mean, truly like hardcore enforce it, but you can definitely control spacing in zones. People need to be seated. Kill those concourses, you know, be in seats or be walking somewhere with your mask on, period, you know? Yeah, but you, you got control it. You, you limit the only five people in the restroom at a time, and then you're you all of a sudden it's a it's a after a score, and you got five or six totally drunk guys that can't wait another minute charging. I mean, are they are they really going to obey that? And just the whole fact, everybody wants to sit closer in the money part of it too. Where normally, if you have a really small crowd, what do they do? Well, they block off the upper deck, and you don't open those concession stands, you don't open those bathrooms. But you, if, if this whole thing is about social distancing, you're going to have to use every section of that stadium to spread people out. And then you're going to have concession stands open in the upper deck. I, I, I don't know if it's worth it money-wise to, to staff. They'd make money. Nope, not. They'd make money off of it. Be better, better than zero. Well, that's Better true. than no fans, right? I mean, no fans are making you no money. I mean, they're going to end up in the plus on opening every concession stand, right? You, I would think. You would think, but... Yeah, I don't know. It, it would be more if you could just have half of them open and, and only have to pay half of the workers. Although I think a lot of those workers actually are volunteers that work for organizations that kind of donate their time as as a service thing. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I just it, it just feels like until there's a vaccine that that it's one thing to say, yeah, you can you can open bars, you can open restaurants and all that. Cause those, those, those businesses need to survive. Football is going to survive with or without fans. Um, they, it's, it's about making money or making more money. And it just, it, I don't know. I just, I don't see them cramming that many people into a stadium, no matter how distanced they are until they know it is, is 100% safe. Yeah. Well, we'll say I, I'm uh, very curious to see where this lands, um, particularly with the Bengals and with the NFL, if they do allow places where they're seeing the masks working when you're seeing orange, you know, or going to whatever level you need to be at, hitting whatever numbers you need to hit. I'm curious to see where they do land with this because it's clearly not being ruled out right now. The teams are preparing for it and feeling ready to go pull this off. I just say hire Madtree and 50 West to come run the show and you'll be fine. Because you'll never feel safer than you do uh, at their places. Uh, so that's, 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 of course, that's, that's my answer to everything. Like, no matter what the problem is, like, I don't know, just get 50 West and Madtree involved and it'll all be fine. Like, it'll work itself out. Uh, all right. That'll wrap us up for this week. Again, next week, we will have watched football at the practice fields during training camp. So, looking forward to that as camp officially kicks off uh, down there as far as open, full, padded practices. We'll have reports from down there, things that we see. So looking forward to bringing that to everybody. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will uh, talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast Ground. Have a good time, everybody.